Hello and welcome to the Thames and Hudson podcast. Welcome to the Thames and Hudson podcast. My name is Ayo Ojo, a fashion journalism student at Central St. Martins. And with me, I have Tim Blanks. Tim Blanks is the current editor-at-large of The Business of Fashion. Over a 30-year career, he has also worked at some of the most respected publications, including The Financial Times, GQ, Vogue, and Fantastic Man. So today we are here to actually discuss Tim Blank's new book with Tamsin Hudson, Versace Catwalk, which is going to be published on the 28th of October. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you at last. Yeah. (laughs) So there's so many things to discuss about this book. I think where we will start is, is there any collection that first led you to your interest in Versace? I was drawn to Versace initially because of the way collections interacted with current events. So the first time that I, obviously that everybody knew the Freedom Collection in the early 90s, and that was one of the most iconic, really, really one of the most iconic fashion moments in the history of the whole thing. But the collection that Johnny showed, the couture collection that Johnny showed just before he was shot, was the one that really took me. And then I felt I was personally engaged with the house after that, because in the 90s, I was kind of a helmet Lang guy. And the minimalism versus maximalism debate, I came down fairly heavily on one side of that. I love fashion in the 90s. It was a brilliant decade for fashion. But it was that particular couture show, in the light of what happened subsequently, that I would say was my eureka moment. Yeah. So I'm quite aware that you have a good relationship with Donatella. So could you tell us more about how she is as a person? She definitely is one of my favorite people in fashion. You know, you wish people knew things about other people, some good things about other people. She, she's almost like an avatar in the eyes of pop culture. She has such a defined image and people imagine, it's quite easy to, to imagine what would be behind that image. She is hilariously funny. She's so self-aware and it's gratifying that a woman who has come through so much is the way she is because life's thrown so many curveballs at her that she could easily have been very different, I think. But she has just risen above all those curveballs and I think it's to do with her amazing perspective on things. I mean, Obviously, she's been humbled by life and she has her insecurities, but she just has that cast iron sense of humor, which is, I think, one of the best armors you can have in life anyway. So I love her for that. That's amazing. So going further into this book, this book is actually going to cover collections all the way from around 1978. And I think when you have a book that covers so many things (laughs) and you have to summarize all of those things, what are the challenges that come across? Well, I've been working in fashion now probably for about 35 years. So since I was five years old. (laughs) Uh, And um, the thing that fascinated me, because obviously I've been fairly deep, I've been fairly embedded in fashion, doing all the TV shows and things that I did in the 80s and 90s and so on. What really struck me when starting at the very beginning of the Versace story was how differently fashion was covered 
in those early days. Later on, especially after the supermodel phenomenon kicked fashion into the sort of entertainment industry in a way, it seemed like there was such blanket coverage. And you really, really had to forage in those early years to get overviews of things. And fashion journalism was a very different beast in the 70s. So I think that the biggest challenge was really picking up the traces on all the things that I hadn't seen and the shows I hadn't been to. And that was the sort of fashion archaeology one. It was pretty interesting. I mean, thank God there was a team at Thames and Hudson, Adelia Sabatini, and, and her intrepid research and access to things I didn't have access to and being able to root stuff out. So that was the most fascinating thing, really going back to the bit of the story that I wasn't really familiar with. Wow, that's so interesting. And I think coming off that, because you mentioned how difficult it was to cover fashion back then, because the information was so limited. How do you feel about the whole idea of supermodels and how it coincides with the story of Versace? Well, a big part of the Versace profile is power of celebrity. And I feel like I've told the story a million times, and it's almost like a cliche, but it is worth telling it again that around the turn of the 80s to the 90s, when Hollywood actresses were resolutely unglamorous, and all the pictures of them were going to, you know, they were putting out the bins in sweatpants, fashion hit that kind of weird sweet spot where there was this group of amazing women, beautiful, diverse women. There was a group of incredible photographers, like image makers, designers who were like the directors. And then there were the really, really deep pocketed advertisers who were like the producers. So you had producer, director, star and image maker, cameraman, I suppose. And they just created this little crucible that was just like Hollywood in its heyday. And it had the same kind of effect on people. A mass audience got really caught up in these personalities. And there was a star system. And I think Gianni Versace was so instrumental, Janet, Gianni and Donatella, because it was Donatella kind of whipping Gianni along that this is what we should be doing with a handful of really amazing photographers and, and magazine editors and so on that, that kicked that whole phenomenon into gear. And then I think, because Donatella's role in the company at that point really was bringing people in, like Elizabeth Hurley wearing that safety pin dress. You can think of these moments that went beyond the red carpet. They caused this furor in the media. And Versace became very, very associated with these hypersexualized, actually, media moments. And to the point where everybody knew the name even if they weren't really 100% sure of what it meant. They had this image, and if you said Versace to people, they had an image in their minds. And it was, it was always these, you know, the supermodels walking down the catwalk to George Michael or Elizabeth Hurley at a premiere or Jennifer Lopez at the Grammys. They transcended their context, and I think, you know, you can't even quantify the financial fallout from stuff like that for a label, for a brand. Just to go further on that, what is it about Versace that draws celebrities to it? It's the power of fashion to change the way you see yourself, I suppose. The web they wove for celebrities was pretty wide. It was glamour pusses like Elizabeth Hurley and Liz Jennifer Lopez, but it was also people like Sylvester Stallone and Bruce Springsteen. I mean, 
Donatella drew a very, very wide, cast the net wide and drew people in, treated them right. When those celebrities went to fashion shows, they were treated like royalty. And then on top of that, there was a sort of transformative power of the clothing. I'm very, very partial to the supermodel story. And I think that if there was a time where every maybe everybody wanted to see themselves as a serious, engaged human being like Jessica Lange or Meryl Streep, they were the role models. Over that whole period where fashion became such a media event, the role models became literally models. That The glamour of a woman like Linda Evangelista was very seductive. And then you saw Hollywood thinking, hmm, look at these girls getting all this publicity. I can get that if I wear a Versace dress. So that whole kind of symbiosis of glamour, red carpet, publicity, I think Versace was very much the puppet master in that. So people were drawn to the clothes because they made them look incredible and they got them lots and lots of press. So just to peel it back a bit, when you think of Versace, you think of bold print, you think of sexiness, definitely. And thinking about this longer, the idea of Medusa and how Medusa is a woman, of course, that could wear what she wanted because regardless, a man couldn't really look at her and those sort of funny ideas. How do you think this influenced Gianni and how do you think his upbringing and the time that he created Versace influenced the ideas that he had for the brand? Well, that's one of the most interesting bits of the story, you know, the psychology of Versace, the roots of it in his upbringing in Reggio Calabria in southern Italy, which was a town that was totally cut off from the rest. There was like one two-lane highway that connected the city with the rest of the country. And it had been a very powerful, rich city in ancient times, so it was surrounded by the ruins of a very wealthy old civilization. But Reggio Calabria had this kind of lost in time aspect maybe and i think for johnny his mother being an, an incredible dressmaker and he was obviously seduced by that her fashion magazines were lying all over the place he persuaded her to open a shop and then became the buyer for the shop and got exposed to everything that was happening in paris at that time which was incredibly a uh, feverish fashion scene but i think the most interesting thing is that an off-told tale his mother used to make clothes for the local hookers. And they obviously wanted to dress pretty, you know, they wanted to dress seductively. It was good for business. And I think famously, he said that, you know, this was what shaped his sensibility that clothes could be this incredible advertisement for womanhood. And at the same time, because he, you know, he was a genius, he was an incredible craftsman that he could cut a dress and, you know, like this, like Alexander McQueen, you know, a similar talent. And people were in awe of his ability to actually make dresses. And he was inspired by the classical drapery of the ruins that were around Reggio Calabria. It was, I think, the synthesis. He had a really incredible sense of high culture and he had a real appetite for low culture. And I think he managed to fuse the two. That was the elevated spirit of Versace. And then this sort of spice that was there as well. It was a very interesting, irresistible combination, obviously, for people in the 80s, because it did feel he understood the value of being overt, you know, and just being brazen. And this is it, take it or leave it. Like, I guess in a way, people talk about Marmite, and I suppose it was Marmite fashion. So it was a little bit of Marmite in the sense that it was really, really unapologetic. 
And the Medusa head's interesting because Medusa was the door knocker in the palazzo that they bought when they first started feeling like really successful in Milan and they bought a bit of a palazzo and there was a Medusa head on the doorknob and that's how it became the, the emblem of the company. I love a happy accident. <laughs> so what would you say in your opinion are the creative differences between what Gianni did and what Donatella does? I think that's pretty straightforward. As you said, Gianni was an expert in print and color and opulence. Donatella has always said that People got very caught up in that side of Versace, the sort of silks and the Rococo kind of decorative elements. But he was also a master cutter. And I think that she really plucked that out of the repertoire. Because obviously when you have a woman designing for women, you saw the same thing, interestingly, at McQueen when Sarah Burton took over after Lee McQueen died. You saw the cut becoming a little more female-friendly maybe. and I think she went with cut. Obviously, the decorative element was still there, but I would say that was a big difference. Someone around my age, like early 20s, when we think of Versace, we think of how good Donatella has been as a world builder. Because mm-hmm. when I think of Versace, when I was younger, actually, Versace was the brand that was collaborating with music artists mm-hmm. when no other brands would. And Versace kind of became that sort of cool brand that was knew what was going on in the underground, but it was also high fashion at the same time. What are your thoughts on this? That was her. Remember now, she has been the creative director of that brand for longer than Johnny was. So she shaped those perceptions. I think he was opera, she was hip hop, or whatever the equivalent was at that time. She always loved, she's always loved pop culture. At her parties, you'd always have the hot new group playing. I think that She has always just been so engaged by whatever is hot and happening. And the other thing, of course, was like we said just before, she was very, very good at creating personal relationships with people. So I think like there were lots of kids like you who had this image of Versace and then they become successful musical artists and suddenly Donatella is like asking them to shows and things. You know, who wouldn't be kind of drawn into that? Also the image of success that those artists wanted to, project, I think Versace kind of embodied that image. It's like living a fantasy, isn't it? If you've, like you said, you had that you had this image of Versace on your mind and suddenly you, you're in a position where you can wear it and be at the shows and become associated with it in some way. It's exciting. Yeah. Fashion now is really fast paced, mm-hmm. as we know, especially now we have things like Instagram, TikTok is even more fast paced. How do you think that's going to change the nature of the way brands communicate? And how do you think that's going to change the future of the runway? On top of the changes that the internet has has brought to fashion, we've also just been through this pandemic, which reinforces the need for change. So I think there was a fairly strong drive earlier last year to find alternative, less resource-heavy ways to present yourself. In other words, people were moving away from fashion shows, couldn't do fashion shows. I've just been in Paris and it kind of looks like it's back to business as usual, which is disappointing in a way. I think there were people explored alternatives last year in really inspiring ways. I think we saw some wonderful, wonderful digital alternatives to a live fashion show. On the other hand, you're at a live fashion show and you're thinking, hmm, the music's making my gut you know, quiver, the, <laughs> my emotions are running high, blah, blah. 
you just don't get that when you're sitting in front of a screen on your own. So the whole notion of fashion as a communal experience is, is, I mean, I think it's impossible to shake. Where the show goes is the show stays where it is. That's what seems to be happening. There will always be people now who do really interesting things as an alternative. People are aware of that. I think that, that they'll maybe incorporate, they'll maybe work with them, strike a balance between physical presentations and digital presentations. I would imagine that is probably going to strike people as the best of both worlds. Definitely the whole notion of fashion as a performative medium, which we see with things like TikTok, is not going anywhere and probably will only get stronger, which is interesting because it does change the role of the designer. You know, in a way, everyone's a designer, everyone's a model. It does change all of that. But what is going to happen with, with the internet when something comes along to replace TikTok in a year or so? It is so fast moving. It's a constantly shifting landscape now. So, and I think fashion just will just move with it. So a big question that I'm sure a lot of people have, including me, is what were some of the biggest things you learned especially new things going about writing this book? I'm not sure. It was more having things reaffirmed. Obviously, writing about 120, 130 collections, which was <laughs> quite a job. There were collections that I hadn't really ever gone into that blew my mind. I was so impressed by what Johnny achieved. I knew Donatella's work very well. I think I've been to all her shows, actually. All the shows from, yeah, I think I've seen all her shows, Couture and Ready to Wear. So I was, I was familiar with her work. I wasn't as familiar with Johnny's work. I mean, I obviously had read about it, seen pictures. But the originality and the sort of iconoclasm was, I thought, really interesting. Because you don't think of a brand like Versace being... In a way, you know it's, you feel you know it so well because you have those images. You have the models and George Michael music. You have Liz Hurley at the premiere of Four Weddings and a Funeral. You've got these images crystallized in your mind. So, and they're so familiar that you kind of lose touch with how iconoclastic some of his work was, how out there he was, how he introduced all these different elements and didn't try and sublimate them so that... They were subtly there, like all his influences were sort of subtly absorbed in the big picture. He actually put them front and center. You know, even that metal mesh that became a sort of symbol of his, of his work, he brought that into fashion. Looking at butchers' aprons, you know, he did that. And they're so much a part of the fashion vocabulary. It's like who made the first T-shirt, that sort of thing. You think somebody made the first T-shirt. And you don't often sit back and think, wow, every single thing that we wear was done first by somebody. And I think that was what's striking about the Versace story, how many things he did that were new and innovative, but also iconoclastic. So it's a funny idea to sit, somebody to sit down and read a book of 130 or so reviews of fashion shows. This is what I love about this catwalking series at Thames and Hudson, because it gives a reader credit for actually doing that because it tells a story. If it is, it starts at the beginning and the story evolves. And when you read about Gianni Versace and then what Donatella Versace did with her brother's legacy, it's a story with absolutely everything. It's like an opera. 
but it evolves. So each collection, there's ideas like interweaving, and he goes back and does this, and and then takes it forward and does something else with it. And that's a great perspective, I would say. That's a very, very long way of saying, what did I learn? I learned that when you take a perspective on Gianni Versace and Donatello Versace's story, there's a awful lot to provoke and entertain and inspire. Did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, it did. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> I think... It's so interesting. So something you mentioned was Alexander McQueen, him being known for being a master cutter, which is very true. And it's kind of strange that when people think of Versace, they don't attribute the same characteristics. Because no one, I, no one knew. I don't, you know, you, you can find Diana Vreeland, I think, the, you know, the legendary editor of Vogue. I think she said something about watching him work was a revelation. Because he, he would sit as a little boy and watch his mother, who was a master dressmaker, watch her studio working on dresses. And I think he just osmosed it. But then you need that little bit of extra, whatever it is, the X factor to take that childhood experience and turn it into this sort of magic that he made later on. But it's true. That is one thing that I didn't know. I didn't know that he could actually just take a bit of fabric and zoom, 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 and there'd be a dress. I, I was not aware. And yeah. now that you've actually said it, I'm going to look deeper yeah. into it. Yeah. So what would you say is the legacy of the House of Versace? It is one of the names, one of the iconic names in history, in fashion history. It changed the way people saw fashion. It widened the vocabulary of fashion to have a style that, if you say Versace to people, there's a style that comes to mind. That is a legacy. You see the children of Versace in fashion. You see the way young designers are drawn back to, you know, think of Christopher. That's Christopher Kane started with chainmail dresses because of Versace, right? You see designers drawn back to it. It will be one of those things that it won't always be in favor, but people will always come back to it because it represents so much more than a dress now. It stands for so much more. It stands for a time and a place and an attitude. And it's so rich that you can just, it's like a tap and you can turn it on. You can get the rush of the legacy really, really easily, I think, because it's so graphic. And for kids coming into fashion, it will definitely be one of those eternal touchstones, I think. When people read this book, what are some things you want them to take away that fashion is as huge and absorbing and inspiring and entertaining as anything else that you could ever come across. You know, if you've loved Star Wars your whole life or if you've loved Game <laughs> of Thrones or something, anything that sucks you in to a different world and holds you there. It's writing about collections of clothing, but they're all chapters that make this one big story. So... It's a good read. <laughs> it's a good read. And I'm not saying that as the person who wrote the words. It just is an education in how, you know, fashion just doesn't lose its grip. What is your favorite Versace collection and why? My favorite Versace collection is Johnny's Last Couture collection because it was a very emotional moment for him. It was an incredible turning point for the house. It would have been an incredible turning point for the house, regardless of what happened in the subsequent weeks. So it was the embodiment of, you could see an artist stretching, really. You could see an artist reaching for something new. And then concurrently, my other favorite Versace collection is Donatella's tribute collection to him. It took her a long time to deal with the 
emotional legacy of his last collection, when she took it on board and felt confident enough to confront what the emotional turmoil, everything that that collection had meant to her, she did that tribute collection that was just her owning, really, really saying to the world, yeah, I own this, everything that he had done. You know, she says, it's not Gianni, it's not Donatella, it's Versace. And I think those two collections bookend the story really, really, really beautifully and really elegantly and poignantly. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tim. I really enjoyed this conversation and I've learned a lot about Versace, as I'm sure the listeners have as well. Don't forget to pick up Tim's book, Versace Catwalk, which will be publishing on the 28th of October. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Thames and Hudson podcast. 